G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Really looking forward to this week's sermon because it is preached by my wife, the Reverend Zoe Brown, and it focuses on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's entitled Living to Please God. We hope you enjoy the sermon. First reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, You do love all brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Brothers, we do not want to... (coughs) want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him, in him. According to Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my lips and the meditations of our heart be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. 
Well, it is a joy to be here, not just because it's the eight o'clock service, but I get the opportunity to share God's word. So I invite you to open up your pew Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. Because over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, one of the earliest churches. We know that he spent three weeks there teaching these multicultural and pluralistic people about Jesus. And he's continuing to guide and teach them and us through his letters. Thessalonians is quite a short book. It's only five chapters. And Paul spends the bulk of it, the first three chapters, celebrating the Thessalonians' example of steadfast faithfulness. He has so much to give thanks for as this small church, which was quickly established and regularly persecuted, thrives through the power of the Holy Spirit to become such an example of faith for churches all around. We're into chapter 4 today and then 5 next week. And in these final two chapters, Paul builds on his thankfulness for their faith by challenging them to apply this teaching to help them to continue to grow in faith in Christ so that ultimately more people will come to know God's love. Now, when I said I would preach this week, I've preached on the second half of this chapter. And I said, oh, sure, I'll do the whole chapter. And then I went to all the commentaries and all the sermons I could find, and I couldn't find any single sermon that actually did the whole chapter in one. (laughs) And at first glance, these two sections might look like they are completely different. How exactly, Zoe, do you, you might ask, do you throw holy living and the coming of the Lord Jesus and grief into the same sermon? But I pray that as you walk with me this morning, you will see what I see, this beautiful theme running through this whole chapter. Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians and us to live our lives not to please ourselves, but to please God. We do this through the love and sacrifice shown to us by God through Jesus so that we can stand firm in the knowledge that the life we live now is not the peak of our existence. It is just the taste of the glory that is to come. So, as we begin at verse 1, whatever generation you hail from, I think there is guaranteed to be a catchphrase that encourages us all to try new things, kick goals, or pursue our desires. Whether it's carpe diem, when in Rome, life's too short, or today's favourite, which is... Is there another slide, Fiona? Anything on this there with an acronym? No? Okay. David put in the hymns, but not my sermon notes. Today's favourite is YOLO, you only live once. Everywhere we turn, the world is encouraging us to satisfy our wants and our desires by trying to embrace life. Now, many of these catchphrases come from a well-intended push to encourage people out of their comfort zones. However, they are also used often as a justification to pursue the desires and temptations of the world. And just as there is a phrase for every generation under the sun, this is a problem that has plagued every generation of humanity. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians in verses 1 to 6, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as you are in fact living. 
Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is honourable and not passionate, lust, like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And I think here Paul is highlighting what is the core of the problem of living the YOLO-type life. Not that we shouldn't try new things or move out of our comfort zone, but our bodies and minds have not been created to satisfy our own desires. We've been created to live in worship of God and fellowship with each other. We constantly face that struggle of the line between caring for our bodies and minds, which is good and holy, so that we might serve God, and feeding our bodies and minds with that which only serves our desires. Is exercise bad? No. But is obsession with physique and appearance holy? No. Are food and alcohol bad? No. But is eating and drinking to excess holy? No. Is physical intimacy bad? No. But is seeking that intimacy outside of godly marriage holy? No. Paul isn't telling the Thessalonians and us to deny everything, but as he says, control it in good measure so that we may live holy and honourable lives. And he gives us a warning that if we ignore this call, there will be a consequence. Verses 7 to 8. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. None of us are perfect in this regard, far from it. And Paul isn't diminishing us for being imperfect because he acknowledges that the Thessalonians have already been living to please God. But he's exhorting us to continue this every single day of our lives, to honour God by honouring what God has made us for, choosing to live each day in the power of the Holy Spirit, under God's will, not our own, so that we might please God. We talk about justification and sanctification. When we receive the gift of grace through Jesus, we are justified in a moment. We are made right with God. When we choose to live each day as God wills it, we are sanctified. We are set apart for God and made clean each and every day. So how do we do this? Well, today is all about catchy acronyms and the answer is L-O-V-E. Let's look at verses 9 to 12. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And Paul knows that the Thessalonians have the basis for holy living down pat. They just need to continue living in love. This is the beginning of all things holy, and that's why in John, 1 John 4.19 we read, We love because God first loved us. The creation of the world and of humanity, of all goodness, comes through the love of God. And the gift of God's Son, Jesus, to redeem us, comes through love. Love is not something that we generate out of our own will or our sense of obligation. It is what we do in response to the gift of love that God has already given us. But Paul points out here that it's a certain kind of love that is required in the Christian life. Often when we think about love, we think grand gestures, big gifts, public displays of affection. But if we think to Jesus, this perfect example of God's love, he was not loud, overbearing or excessively affectionate. He lived, worked and taught as an itinerant preacher, a man who had no home or tertiary qualifications. He also wasn't ignorant of his need to share this love. One of the problems that the Thessalonians faced was they were so convinced of Jesus' imminent return that they sometimes sat idly watching and waiting, like the virgins sitting and falling asleep. Jesus didn't just wait for the day he died to tell people of God's love. Each day, he got up and he got on with the job at hand. Every single part of Jesus' life is part of who he is the visible image of the invisible God. And that is precisely what Paul is calling us to do, to get on with the job, living a life that is grounded in Christ-like love, living, working and serving, neither overbearing nor idle, the kind of love that through gentle self-sacrifice and self-giving helps others see and know God's love. Jesus' life should be evident in our lives through our thoughts and our actions, not just through our titles or our qualifications. The final question that remains is why? If we know the what, living a holy life, and the how, through God's love, why is it worth it? Why do we walk away from carpe diem, from seizing the day, from YOLO and all its short-term attractions. And this is where I think this chapter is summarised beautifully because it delves into why we shouldn't yearn for the YOLO, the you only live once. Because through God's L-O-V-E, we can recognise L-I-F-E, life, that living is for eternity. The early church faced a significant challenge in that they thought Jesus' second coming would occur in the first 50 years or so in their lifetime. They didn't know exactly when it would happen 
or what would happen to the Christians who died in between Jesus' death and resurrection and his coming again. But this is nothing new, for people have always contemplated what happens after life on earth has ended. Pagans thought you fell into an infinite sleep. Greeks held to the belief that when you died, you went to the underworld called Hades, from which you never returned. But Paul tells us quite simply, and what we know clearly through Jesus' death and resurrection, is that this life and the death which it brings is not the end. Because when we live holy lives that are pleasing to God, we live not only once on earth, but we can see that life on earth prepares us for life in eternity. There's been significant debate on what happens between this life here on earth and the life in eternity when Christ returns. Do we hit pause when we die, sleeping until Jesus comes back? Or do we go straight from death into heaven, awaiting to join Jesus when he returns? The reality is that, is that the specifics are unclear. And if you go into any Christian bookstore, there is a swathe of books from people who have temporarily died because of an accident or in surgery. And they tell of their various experiences of the afterlife. And we could probably spend hours debating the nuances. But as Tom Wright points out, if we have never seen death, how can we explain what life after death is going to look like with blinding certainty? Regardless of the perspective you take, the result is exactly what Paul tells us in verses 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Friends, the reality of death cannot be denied, and Paul doesn't deny death, or the grief that it brings. That's why at funerals, I know that David and I always take the time to say that it is good and right to grieve. Paul points to the truth that Jesus died as a reminder that even the Son of God experienced death and that those who most dearly loved Jesus grieved him as he died. Yet he also reminds us that when we live lives pleasing to God, we live in the assurance that just as Jesus rose again, we too will be made alive with Jesus to live for God, with God for eternity. And it will be a life that is different, much better, much fuller than with the one we live today. It will be a day of royal visitation, with great fanfare, angels, and all the company of heaven. It will be like nothing we have ever experienced before. When Jesus returns, he will be united with all who believe in him, both the living and the dead, so that we will be with the Lord forever. 
None of us live perfectly. We all fall short of God's perfect plan for us to live in worship of him and fellowship with each other. But through the gift of grace, the ultimate gift of love, Jesus calls us to recognise that whilst this present world is not perfect, we can choose to live lives now that prepare us for the future. As followers of Jesus, we live in the now but not yet, which bridges the time from his resurrection until his return. So as we do that, let's encourage one another with the words of scripture. Let's pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we commit to living each and every day, not for ourselves, but more and more for the glory of God. Let's commit to doing so quietly, diligently, faithfully, seeking to make God's love known more and more through our words and our deeds. And let's rest assured in the hope that when our final days on earth are done, we who have lived in Christ will be caught up with all who go before us. We will meet Jesus face to face and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.